0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today, I'm meeting with Adi Locher. He's a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Deal. Recently, he sold Deal to Ringier and became a millionaire. We want to go and chat with him. Let's go. Hey, Adi. Hi, Griggo. Such an honor to be here. Like we know us for years. Um, I think 2007 we met and um, now ten years later, we are
1: meeting at the offices of Deindiel. Can you quickly tell us where we are here? So we are in the middle of the city of Zurich um, at the headquarter of Deindiel. Uh It's a it's a, I think, three story uh, office and we are at the cafeteria, which is the, the top floor of the building. Um, we actually w- w- When we were starting to rent this uh, place, we renovated it completely. So the whole architecture was actually designed by us and uh, we also decided not to do the sea level offices up here as our uh, our predecessor did we decided to do this uh, for the as, as the public uh, space with some um, yoga uh, room actually behind us and some kicker table uh, left to us so like a recreation area and also where people would usually uh, cook uh, lunch uh, together
0: I heard that you spent a tremendous amount of money for your coffee machines here. Yes, we did. (laughs) How much was it, to be honest? I think
1: think, uh, each machine would cost around 12K um, and we bought three of them. Uh, But I was like, uh, I don't want to have uh, bad coffee. And actually, the fun fun fact of this was that um, buying these machines would actually save us uh, Nespresso. And uh, we calculated that within only 12 months, um, actually, the cost of of Nespresso would be be actually reinvested. So um, so that was still a good deal. You did a
0: business plan for the coffee machines. Great.
1: I would l- really like to take you, like you're such a, a,
0: a tremendous entrepreneur, you are um, doing so many things we could probably cover, like uh, for days we could talk about entrepreneurship and, and all your ventures. But I think the really important thing is to understand where does this come from? Like was there any person or any experience or something in your early life that um, inspired you to become an uh, entrepreneur?
1: So, I think it was it was two things um, that would inspire me. One, for sure, was my was my uh, granddad because he was an entrepreneur, and at the same time, uh, actually, I think I, I can say this: my parents would always encourage me to explore things and. I would build a lot of stuff uh, with my father together, be it, uh, you know, wooden huts or be it electronics or, or computers even. And uh, I always love to build things. And that's kind of the thing that uh, is like a red, uh, a red line through my life, I think.
0: And when, at what age did you learn that you can earn money with what you are building? Like when did this relation become
1: Well, of course, I I did the the, the teenage things, like selling stuff um, uh, and and, and building. Um, I think I started when I was around 15. I started to build computers and sell them.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, maybe a year later, or maybe even before, and maybe a a year later, I started to code um, and, uh, and, and sell websites to people.
0: Okay, what did you code?
1: Um, I start I think I started with Pascal, and then I went on to basic, and then PHP.
0: But you never decided to actually study information science or well, coding.
1: No, I actually I. I uh, I was in between. So I was actually um, visiting ETH, um, I was looking into computer science and at the same time I was visiting um, University of St. Gallen and was looking into into um, business and um, I somehow had to decide uh, between those two and then in the end I, I decided for, for business. Um, but uh, all my days at university, I was always uh, also coding. So I was kind of... And why did
0: you go for business?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I actually... Um, it was a, a very uh, gut-driven decision um, that was based on actually ma- one main factor that today maybe was, was not the most rational one, but, but back then would, would kind of... Um, pull me off or somehow would not work for me, that was math. Um, I, mm-hmm. um, looking at ETH uh, curriculum, I, I realized that the first two years of computer science was mainly math and I liked math a lot, but I was like, when I have to do the same thing for two years, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna okay. be bored to hell and I, I'm, I already know that I will not keep up with my motivation to actually... Uh, okay, to so actually the math it. scared you? the ma- the math thing and and, and, and you know this, this the intensity uh, on, or the density on the on the curriculum like eighty mm-hmm. percent was just that and I was mm-hmm. like yeah I wanted to explore some other areas as well yeah
0: yeah
1: would you decide the same
0: today or would you maybe say it makes sense to like do to yeah, work you know, hard and <clears> do some <throat> math to get I mean, the basics
1: of course I'm in the lucky position that I don't really need to think about my you know, education anymore? Um, <laughs> but that literally. can also be fun. <laughs> <Make> <laughs> yes, so education. I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the fun now. But um, <laughs> looking back, of course, um, yes, I would probably choose um, the computer science way um, because you can always um, add on business yeah but it's really tough to do the other way around
0: okay got it what were the learnings like what would you advise
1: for someone who at this
0: early early stage like I think it was like the first year of studies Mm -hmm. right is looking
1: for a co-founder in school what should they look for yeah it's interesting I mean I would I would say it's almost the same factors that I would use in recruiting people and it's always two things for me it's personality and its skills. And I would value that always 50-50. So yes, somebody has to be exceptionally skilled and yes, somebody has to be an exceptionally cool person. And only if both factors are checked, I would say it works for me. And how
0: did then, like when you went out of school, like how did you decide to go for your company, or maybe did you think about other other opportunities? Like, yeah, did you think sure. about like going a traditional way, or that? So yeah.
1: So there is a fun story that you uh, were referring to uh, before, because. Um, you know, doing your own company back then, when, when we were finishing at at, Tarske, at the University of St. Gallen, um, back then, that was not very popular. Uh, the normal usual way, I would say, was you either became investment banker, um, earning shitloads of money uh, or became um, a consultant as well. Very well paid or um, would work for a multinational. Um, so becoming an entrepreneur was not the type of career option that would be advertised or even existed um, or, or the university would somehow uh, push, which is quite the contrary to today. And it's only 10 years, maybe a bit more later. So it has changed a lot. Um, but back then that was not a real option. So uh, people also would would look at us quite. Um, quite critical um, why we would do that and you know of course uh, we were working for a very shitty salary in the beginning while uh, our, uh, our um, f- student friends would work for Goldman in, uh, in interns already getting paid like crazy and then would get their first job offers uh, six digits uh, and we were paying ourselves I think uh, two and a half uh, thousand that would just cover our living costs Um, And of course at some point you were uh, sitting there thinking was that really the right decision what we're doing here? Um, Will it turn out to be uh, the right choice or will we look back and say oh shoot, we should have done something else. And and there was this moment um, actually for me that was kind of a defining moment if you want. um, When I was offered an intern at Goldman that I turned down. Really? uh, Of course, people would not understand that. Um, And I turned it down like one day before I actually um, had to go to the final, uh, let's say, signing. Wow. (laughs) Um, So that was, of course, uh, quite crazy. Um, But why I did it was because it didn't feel right. I, I sat there and I was like, Oh gosh! I'm now going to sit like for six months in this super cool office, but I'm going to work on a not so cool uh, Excel sheet for ages, and <laughs> uh, this will not be fulfilling. Um, and uh, even though the whole atmosphere is super cool and you know brazing, but it, I, I feel, I felt that this would not make me happy, and so I took the decision not to do it.
0: And there was no one like um, parents or someone. You were afraid that people don't accept your decision. So,
1: you know, I, my parents didn't tell me everything, of course. But uh, I feel, or how I how I um, actually f- s- experienced them, they were never. Uh, in in worries for me, so they would always trust the way I was going, and they were always super supportive. So um, they would never try to interfere with my choices. They would always, uh, they would give their advice or their sounding board, but they would not try to steer me in some direction, which I'm super thankful for.
0: Maybe the moment to say thank you to parents. Absolutely. <laughs> I thank think that's, <laughs> that's a great advice, actually, to, to, uh, to parents like, uh, of entrepreneurs. I think parents of entrepreneurs, if they are too guiding, probably their kids will not become entrepreneurs. Because we talked about that and probably we shared there something. And it would be really interesting to, to, uh, to know when is the right time to become an entrepreneur or the right timing to
1: start an entrepreneurial career, from your point of view. I think you cannot start early enough um, because the risk profile will never be uh, lower and smaller than in the beginning of your whatever career. Um, So, starting as a student or even before actually contains, in my eyes, zero risk because the downside protection is always yeah, finish your studies and get a job. Um, And even if your studies fail, um, you can still get a job. So, like, the the, the risk of, of failing, especially in in, in, in living in Europe, uh, living in Switzerland, um, where we have such high standards and such uh, such high standards as well in, in welfare systems, I would say there's no real risk. Um, because a real risk would be um, becoming homeless, um, which, if we are honest, is just not an option in Switzerland.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So I would say start as early as possible um, to pursue your dreams and the thing is, as as you know too, as an experienced entrepreneur, um, you have to make certain experiences and you have to have certain failures. On the way to become successful because uh, becoming successful is something uh, is is a lot of learning and learning study incorporate and your next steps will be smarter and the earlier you start to fail uh, the earlier you're ready to succeed right do you know
0: someone in your network or have you heard of a person that actually did a career after the studies
1: and then somehow made the step to become an entrepreneur? I think the, the pattern that I can see is they jumped off the train quite early, okay. to put it that way. Okay. Um, so it's usually the people who jump off after two, three years uh, in their first job and then become entrepreneurs.
0: What was your biggest failure? Could you take us to the place where you failed like with a venture? The lowest it, point the of The lowest my point <laughs> of your entrepreneurial <laughs> career. Well, and, and, well, and, you also, learned the and most. also life,
1: uh, mm-hmm. that was, that's pretty much true, I would say. I went to Berlin to create a new company, and uh, this company was a miserable failure in terms of economical success. Um, other than that, uh, it, was, it was still a very, very good venture and lots of learnings, but from, a, from an economical point, it was uh, a, a failure, and we also lost investor money. Uh, we were trying to build what is today called ad tech. So we were trying to build a company that uh, would um, provide software to run social media campaigns. Mm-hmm. The only issue is that it was 2006, six seven. Uh, at a time where people would still not understand uh, Facebook and social media at all. With people, I mean, especially companies. So uh, we tried to sell software and at the end, uh, companies would hire us uh, as an agency and they would want us to create content, which, of course, was not scalable at all. And uh, yeah, after three years, um, we uh, decided to uh, to actually close the company.
0: The company was called Smabu. Yeah. Um, and what were your biggest learnings, like talking now when you were failing? What do you think you learned at Smabu that helps you now to like we will talk about dine deal, but mm-hmm. to build dine deal, but also now in your entrepreneurial life? Uh, first of all,
1: I would say that it's not about the idea, um, but it's about timing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Why I'm saying that, I see a lot of young people who come to me and say, Hey, I want to create a company, but I'm lacking uh, the right idea. And I always feel like it's not the idea. It's um, you have to you have to find something that you're good at and then you start executing. And from that, you get into other opportunities and you eventually find the thing that uh, can become successful. Um, so I think um, this concept of an idea is is totally overrated, and somehow it's it's uh, it's taught in schools and universities that you have to have this innovation idea and, and, and innovation and stuff. And at the end of the day, um, if you look at most of the businesses that are out there, most of the businesses actually are total copycats. So uh, there is not that much innovation as people usually try to to sell, um, and. Um, if you have something that uh, you're good at um, that you love and that uh, you do well uh, Usually you find somebody that is paying you for that And then of course it's a question of is it scalable business model or is it more kind of a service? Uh, model, but to be honest in the beginning. I would care less about that um, than Just build something and learn um, the, the second thing I I, I learned was, as I said, timing. Um, Why is timing so important? Well, because if you want to build something that can become big, you definitely need to ride on the right wave. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can always build successful companies. But um, the difference between a successful and over successful like crazy growing company is if the topic that you're in is currently on a certain uh, hype cycle um, and, and uh, has, has additional growth. At Smabu, I remember
0: we had contact then, too, and we're exchanging. I remember that you sometimes said, yes, we still have to develop the market. Yeah. And if that. you say something like that, then you can clearly say you are not riding
1: the wave because you are Absolutely. trying to create yeah. the wave. Yeah. And that's maybe the third learning. Never try that as a startup. Mm-hmm. Never try to develop a market as a startup. It's going to kill you because uh, big companies can develop markets because they can be patient and wait and educate and then eventually sell. But as a small company, as a startup company, you're always uh, pushed to uh, monetization um, and earn money at some point. Um, and if you have to develop the market first, it's usually not going to work.
0: I think maybe that's. In my view, the biggest learning you had because I'm so firm about that because you then started Dine Deal. And Dine Deal was a copycat, mm-hmm. so, idea is not that important. Um, timing was right because there was market validation, like a big company Groupon was already doing yeah. it in the US. And I think um, you did not develop the market here because there were already people selling that stuff, you just sold it cheaper. <laughs> And you were doing it better. So maybe you, I think it would be very interesting for us to learn, like, how did you transfer from Smabu to Deal? And maybe you can take us at this night at Levep, I believe, where you met with uh, Amir at the bar
1: and you discussed about mm-hmm. the idea. How did you come about? Sure. So, why i was um going into e-commerce after um trying to uh, not successfully build an ad tech company was actually because i felt that e-commerce was still um there it was still the right window of opportunity for e-commerce in the late uh, in, in beginning of 2010 um, the market was still rather underdeveloped i would say um when i ended uh Smabu, I was actually um, I was actually starting to look out for new uh, concepts, and I was doing it in a half systematic, half <clears throat> random way. Um, of course, I knew that I wanted to build a platform business. I wanted to build a scalable business, and I uh, I, I, I knew that I wanted to build an e-commerce business. So that was kind of the search, uh, the search spotlight I, I had set, and. Um, I was meeting uh, some entrepreneurs I I I, I knew, um, and uh, I was doing some brainstormings. And uh, one of them uh, happened to be Amir, and one of these brainstormings happened to um, to. Uh, to be in in Paris uh, at the web conference in in December, I think, in a a bar late night after the conference day. And uh, we were discussing uh, a few concepts and and, uh, among others, we were discussing Groupon. And Groupon back then was uh, quite uh, popular because they have just passed the mark of 100 million sales. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, Apparently, this thing seems to work. Uh, why aren't we just doing that in Switzerland? So that's how it, it, it actually started. And the next thing we did was we wrote a, a, a one page business plan uh, as an Excel sheet. Um, and then we, uh, co- we coded the site and we went live in, uh, in March. So we actually took the decision in, in January. Coded the website in February and went live in in March.
0: We can say it worked. Like the 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 the, uh, the MVP you launched in March, and I think the first deals you closed were with a restaurant here where you were selling brunches. Was is that right? Yeah,
1: exactly. It was uh, the restaurant was called Forum, and actually I still remember the day we went we went live because that was one day after my birthday, so it was twenty fourth of March, and. Uh, I remember that so well because in the beginning, uh, in, the, in the first few hours, uh, not all of our, not all payment systems would work and uh, we had a lot of uh, troubles and uh, fixing stuff. But at the end, we sold 90 um, 90 deals, 90 coupons within five days, I think. And uh, I would say of these 90 uh, deals we sold, um, probably, 50 to 60 would be one-to-one uh selling that actually we all uh, from from the founding team did. you know calling up our friends saying hey have you seen that deal and then one hour later hey did you buy <laughs> chatting with everybody like really yeah. just pushing trying try. to push yeah. the first sales and yeah. uh yeah but the cool thing in
0: this case is it was real like sometimes People go out there or students, which I think is important, too, to understand the customer and actually their need and pains. But in the end, you still have to test it, especially when you try to sell something at such a low cost. Probably if you would go out there and say, hey, we're selling coupons. You can buy a brunch for half a price. Would you buy it? Probably all the friends would say, yes, of course. In your case, you actually went out there, you tested it. Do they actually buy? And then you realized, OK, they are buying. And what happened then?
1: Well, maybe maybe one step before, which is also something I, th- I, I think uh, is important to stress. Uh, of course, we also did some, some market validation by talking to uh, so-called experts, um, because both Amir and I were not sure if the concept of, of couponing and, and group buying would actually be successful in Switzerland, uh, if people would be okay with going to a restaurant and, you know, like getting out there, Printed coupon mm-hmm. back then there was no mobile uh, version of course So you had to print out thing and then go into a restaurant and then actually instead of paying handing over this Printed coupon which made you look a bit like yeah, you kind of yeah. you Greedy. can't, you can't yeah. afford it yeah. or what? so we were really skeptical about that if that would work and uh, we actually talked to quite a few experts from the e-commerce field as well. And the funny thing here is if we would have followed their advice, we we would not not have started. Um, Because everybody actually was reassuring our skepticism. Yeah, maybe the US is a different market and people love this couponing thing, you know, families sitting over the family table on Sundays, cutting coupons out of the the newspapers, which is not something people do a lot in, in Switzerland. So we were really skeptical and, and, and so we said, okay, let's still test it and if it's not working, we're going to shut it down and apparently it worked. And you went on
0: and, and what happened then? Like uh, Because you grew so fast. Yes. Like I remember, <laughs> I think we haven't met in that time like from uh, the moment you started it to the
1: moment when you were 25 people, yeah. it was like six months. Yeah. So, so yeah, we started, uh, we went live in March 2010 and... Uh, We hired the first intern um, in May and, yeah, as you said, in in August, we were at 20, 25 people uh, working all from the same office, which was actually the old office of my software company that would still be available. And that office was, I think, 60 square meters uh, meant for maybe 10 people. Not for um, 25. And uh, we were 25 at that time, so I have ve- still funny pictures in my head uh, of these of these first days. Um, lucky us uh, as well, the AC broke uh, that summer, and it was a super hot summer. So it was a fun it was a fun time, and uh, was uh, gluing the team together a lot. Um, I still remember that. Uh, at the end we didn't even have chairs for everybody so if you came too late you had to somehow arrange yourself and uh, so it was a, it was a real mess um yeah so this all happened within within months um and also like the the sales numbers they grew like crazy um so i think um in August-September weeks uh, were the first weeks where we would um, realize 100k turnover in one week, so...
0: Wow. (coughs) And and how did you actually realize that they were so crazy? Like, did you had any benchmarks? Or did you, like, had any expectations? Or, like, what what was the moment you realized, wow, this is going to be big?
1: I mean, the moment we realized was maybe two, three months into the game. Where we realized that, you know, we had done this uh, Excel sheet, um, some some business modeling, business plan modeling. And we had, as you learn it at university, we had done like three different cases, uh, best case, worst case, and median case. Yeah. And uh, we realized after, after a couple of weeks that we were constantly beating oh, our best case. case. Wow. And this was the first time ever this happened Until into my you, entrepreneur's you, life you, because... Yeah. The normal experience with your business plan is that you're uh, at 50% of your worst case because even your worst case plan was was done in a way that you still did you you would still do it because otherwise you would not even start it right. So yeah, that was that was actually the moment we realized that we had tapped on something that uh, would become really, really big. And what would you recommend to someone that actually,
0: if that happens to me, what would you recommend to me to do in that moment? Like what what, what were the smart moves to actually not just be there and realizing we have a huge opportunity, but actually to seize this opportunity?
1: Well, maybe uh, I'm happy to talk about that. Maybe we, we jump, we, we, we start one step ahead in how you can get there. Because I think it's, it, it has happened accidentally to us in a way, um, but not totally accidental. So I think testing things and maybe even uh, testing a few concepts at the same time, which is especially in the world of, of online and software is done quite easily and and can be done quite easily, uh, is smart uh, because you are validating assumptions that you have about a certain market. And at the end of the day, um, talking to people and doing questionnaires is not a valid uh, feedback in my eyes because uh, people uh, do not necessarily do what they uh, say. Um, So you have to test what they do um so i think testing and 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 trying out several different things at the same time is 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 quite smart and and in a way that's also what we did how we how we found dine deal and and we were uh, test driven we were numbers driven we were always trying things before judging and we were never uh following our gut feelings because we would know that our gut feelings will not represent the market. Um, so, and, and then to your second question, you know, it's, it's funny, but of course, being in that situation, um, it feels like you're sitting on, on, on a rocket. And actually, there's only two <coughs> decisions you can take. You jump off because it's too stressful and it's too crazy, or you stay on and uh, you try to make your path. And we decided to do the latter. Um, uh, lucky us. Uh, we, we, we did that rocket ride. Um, but you have very little time to actually reflect. Um, so if I look back, sometimes uh, it felt like, yeah, you were literally sitting on this, on this rocket. And the only thing you would try to do was to somehow Keep that thing in a certain uh, on a certain path, mm-hmm. and uh, not to have it uh, falling off the sky. Um, but um, that was really like, you know, building something um, aft behind your company because it always felt like the company is two steps ahead, and you were still, you know, building structures. And then you realize, oh shit, that structure is not valid anymore because the company is is is, is there. Um, so the the normal uh thing i the normal um uh, period we have was like six months um after six months every department that we had built uh would have been refurbished and uh kind of turned around and 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 changed uh, all the time so the only constant was change in that in that time um and it, it literally was so um i think um uh, what I've what I've learned over that time was really um, to steer the company by uh, doing it in a very indirect way, <clears throat> because you cannot actively steer um, something that is growing so fast and also that is going into a direction where you haven't been before. Um, so I think the most important thing I, le- I learned there, there was. Um, to actually steer your company um, around culture. Um, Because we could only achieve this tremendous growth with uh, having a great team that was um, building this company because we could not tell them what to do. Um, So whenever people came to us asking us, hey, what shall we do? Uh, We were pretty honest saying, look, we have a vision, but actually how to get there is something we cannot tell you. We have to figure it out. Uh, So we built this culture around, you know, um, failing, uh, around measuring, around around learning, around trying. Um, That was the only way to succeed in my eyes. And um, we uh, would create uh, a vision and people would follow that vision, but finding their own ways. I think that was the most important thing that uh, made our company growing in such a fast pace because if uh, we would have tried to steer the company directly, uh, that would have meant, uh, A, we had to look at every decision that was made, which which would have made us much slower and B, uh, we wouldn't know the answers because we were no experts in that field anyways. And um, there also were no experts because that was all new terrain. So uh, we were exploring new, uh, new terrains. So there was no, no master plan for that.
0: So, so actually, when I, when I get it right, the most important thing was recruiting the right people. Was there something you were looking for when you were recruiting at that point of time? How do you recruit people who fit for that super gross?
1: Well, um, to begin with, I would say we also found a lot of the wrong people.
0: So that's just natural, right?
1: I think, um, the core learning, uh, in, in that res- respect or that regard, uh, was that, uh, yeah, uh, higher slow fire fast. For the sake of everybody, <laughs> because uh, in such a high-performing uh, environment, um, people that don't perform are not happy, and they feel it, and 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 it's not it's not going well. So, um, <clears throat> ending a relation that doesn't work is better than trying to drag it. So that's maybe the the first thing. And and it's a it's a it's it's an it's it's a it's a hard truth. It's not a nice truth, but it's I think. Um, it's It's the right thing to say and be realistic about it. Um, and that said, I think we were um, very we were very grateful and we were very um, uh, caring for our people. So we had a very uh, good environment. Uh, so um, we were demanding a lot, but we were also giving a lot. Um, and when I look back at, let's say, the right people that we found. I would probably say the best people were the ones that um, would not have plans to stay forever. Mm-hmm. So my best employees ever were uh, those that today usually are founders out there somewhere building things. I think out of um, out of dine deal, at least twenty companies uh, would be created. Wow. Um, so. I would say, if we can brag a bit, we did a good job uh, in finding uh, really amazing people, uh, entrepreneurial people that would see that as a, you know, stepstone to later start their own uh, business. So
0: that's much better than <coughs> join Goldman, join yes. a startup like
1: like. Uh, I would like say, Dine if Dine your plan, if your plan is to uh, to build startup to become entrepreneur I would say there's two options either do it yeah. now right away or get a job at the company or even better with an entrepreneur you really admire and you would want to have as a as a mentor and work for him and who is already riding the
0: rocket so don't join someone who is struggling and yeah. developing a service business but really try to join someone yeah. who is actually yeah. already on Absolutely. fire Absolutely, great. Um, I think what also would be interesting, like talking about Dein deal, um, there were there was a lot of negative press, and you, I know from you that you handled this negative press. Can you also maybe tell us a little bit how you were able to um, deal with this stress mm-hmm. and how
1: painful it was for you? I did two things. One was a very clear and crisp communication towards outside. And two was a very crisp and clear communication towards inside. So um, we analyzed what has gone wrong. Um, We told that very openly, very publicly, what we did not do well. And we were also explaining that this was kind of uh, one of the downsides of fast growth, we had not all perfect processes in place so that something like this could even happen mm-hmm. because um, we should not have sold so many coupons from that one single merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should also have checked those merchants better before selling so much. Um, so. We all analysed that, we communicated that very openly in a sense of, hey, this is what has gone wrong. This is now the measures we take, immediately how to make the damage as small as possible for our clients. And this is the learnings we draw from that and the changes in our company that we are doing or going to do um, to avoid such cases in the future. I think that this openness and um, you know also this, yes, uh, we are standing here, we are communicating, we are talking to the people. that would actually give us a lot of credit. Um, you know, if you uh, respond to a journalist uh, in a in a way like, I'm not going to comment on this, he's going to write his own story mm. uh, if you're at least giving your uh, position and giving your uh, your responses that uh, makes you part of the process and, and actually gives you some control and i also have to say that um i never did experience a case where um a journalist tried to um create a wrong story mm-hmm. so i think our openness um was rewarded in a way that uh, the press the media would realize okay that's it's it's some people behind this company so uh, they they realize what, what was wrong and they have taken measures uh, that it, it does isn't happen again so i think it makes you more human um, going out and, and communicate and and Towards inside, of course, it was super important uh, to reassure people that uh, this would not uh, kill us. Yeah,
0: and, and that they are not leaving the company. Uh, they are right? not
1: leaving the company uh, just because we're on the, in, this, in this storm. Mm. And it was a storm. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, but I think you really did a, a, a great job there because um,
0: I was following it through newspapers and knowing someone and seeing how hard you have to fight. And then there was a point where you decided to actually leave the company. Um, how did that feel, like leaving?
1: So it was kind of planned because when we uh, got Dringier on board as an investor, we had an agreement that they could uh, actually take over um, the whole company at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was already contractually um, basically signed uh, when they jumped on board as investor. Um, so that was kind of a uh, uh, planned. A uh, way how to separate from your company, and we would also know from the beginning that we would not um, be there. We, we not be there for forever. Um, mainly, for I can only speak for myself. Just. Because my personality is is wind in a way, I love to I love doing new things, um, love building new things, and so um, I get bored quite easily. Um, so I, 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 I always knew that at some point I would start something new. Okay, um, but then you actually got money
0: for leaving. Like you 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 sold your shares. Yes. That means you leave the company, yes. and especially in your case where you want to start something new. You got time and you got some money. Yeah. is it available? Like, can you share? Like, how much for how much money you sold? Uh, um,
1: I think we're not uh, we're not really allowed to, to tell. But I mean, you can you can do the math a bit because uh, what is publicly uh, announced was the first valuation we got was around thirty million, and the second valuation was a bit higher. But that was the ballpark of, of the valuation of the company. Yeah. Um, so I would say um, enough money to build new things. Uh, not enough money to uh, basically not work uh, ever again in your life.
0: But you probably would even... It it doesn't matter how much money you (laughs) would have got, you would still start companies. So (laughs) Maybe that's the last thing I want to talk about. So you did um, a sabbatical with your wife, with your kids, you traveled around the world. What were the most interesting things you saw during these six months? Like you told me at that point, you said the hardest thing will not be to jump too fast into something Mm -hmm. because you are so engaged and want to start. But what were the things you you saw during that time?
1: Um, I think the biggest inspiration, surprise, surprise, came from Silicon Valley uh, where I spent a couple of weeks with my family. and uh, testing the living uh, there. So we rented out a couple of Airbnb places, some in the city, some uh, down in the valley, um, to figure out if we could also imagine uh, us living there and and building things uh, there. And uh, I think it was clearly one of the most inspiring times um, in a sense of how much inspiring people I've met over uh, those uh, couple of weeks, Um, how many new concepts and ideas uh, in a sense of like moonshot things I have seen and that's I think the biggest Differentiator to Europe that um, in Silicon Valley you're only cool if you're following something uh, moonshotty, and people here usually don't dare um, to do something, including investors. So I think this was clearly something I I got along uh, there, and uh, of course this whole concept uh, of of artificial intelligence that uh, just struck me when I was there because I felt like okay, this is going to be the next big thing, and I would like to be part of.
0: And that's what you are doing yes. now with Merantix. Is the company? Yes. It's you said it's a company builder. How? What's a company
1: builder? So we um, have a very special concept. We actually help usually mid-sized to large companies to um, to actually leverage their existing data they have to build new business models um, using machine learning. And we do that not as a a consultant, but we do that as a joint venture partner taking risks, also investing in those cases and building new products. Uh, We are at the moment building seven different uh, new products, uh, three of them in the field of medicine, um, two of them in the field of finance, one in the field of automotive, and one in the field of advertising.
0: And um, talking about AI, um, there is so much good that can happen through AI, but there is also, for me, it's kind of threatening to think about robots are taking over the world and um, we are all losing our jobs. And what's
1: your take on that? Um, I love to discuss that. And I don't have like a, a super clear-cut take on it because I don't think there is one single and one simple answer to it. Uh, that's the hard truth, I think, um, because we just don't know. And if we try to judge what will happen in that field with the knowledge of today, we will completely fail. And I feel it's a bit like the Internet 1997. Uh, a lot of people would be talking about it. A lot of people would tell like forecasts and stories what could ha- what could happen and, and and how it's going to develop. And in the end turn out everybody was wrong. First of all, you had a bubble that was bursting. But then ten years later, actually, all those gloomy predictions that were made suddenly turned uh, true. Um, I think with with AI, um, it's it's really important to realize. Um, what technology can today and uh, what it cannot. And um, I think there's a ton of stuff that is far away from being realized and and, uh, a lot of stuff that has to be invented before things like robots taking over the world is is even a a, a likely scenario. But that said, I think it's still a valid point to talk about the dangers of, of this Um, already now. Um, I just um, would say that it's a much better uh, way to approach it, um, what the American, uh, especially Silicon Valley companies are doing right now. They're trying to come up with self-regulation guidelines. um, Whereas in Europe, uh, European Union already started to discuss about laws which is the worst uh, way to, to deal with it, I think, because uh, technology is developing so fast, a law can never catch up with, with it. Um, and I think in, in particular, um, also, uh, what is super important and what most people don't do, um, when they talk about such forecasts, they don't do uh, a proper analysis of history. And I'm not talking about 20 years of history, but I'm talking about 300 years of history. And there have been a lot of moments in the last 300 years where exactly the same gloomy predictions have been made. Um, Among them, and maybe the most prominent, was when the first stage of industrialization started to happen with the steam machines. People would talk about, you know, uh, in the end, everything will be automated and there will be no jobs as we know today it didn't happen and so i think the same will be true for what we have here Um, there will be changes there will be lots of changes and i think we cannot even imagine how this will look like it makes a ton of sense to talk about it but to create fears and 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 a lot of buzz i think it's it's totally overrated
0: is there any advice you can give to someone a 20 <coughs> year old that is preparing him or herself for ai for the ai world to seize the opportunities
1: well if you're not coding today start doing so um if you're even younger um start coding i think um you know uh, as the a lot of wealth was created when people became literate. Um, I think the next level people have to become literate is in machine understanding, in machine coding, because half of our world is, is consists of machines. They need to be programmed. And um, also, it creates a lot more understanding. So a lot of these gloomy predictions and fear-mongering things would not happen if people would really understand how machines work, because then they would see, OK, we're still far away from this kind of scenario yeah. so start coding
0: great so maybe to close the interview a last uh, a last question is there any um advice or anything you want to share with the audience what do you think could be important
1: well i mean we have covered that uh, already but i think to start early um to not fear the risks of failing uh learning fast um gathering the right people around you to build amazing things you cannot start early enough just do it
0: just go out there and do it yeah thank you so much Adi. hope to uh, see you soon again maybe in berlin or in san diego or in zurich wherever but thank you very much
1: all the best good luck thank you thanks bye